The Car Tech Garage, opening the hood for all things automotive. I'm Wesley Adams. And I'm Max Gundrum, and we are the Car Tech Guys. History, racing, repair, and all the parts in between. Hit us up on social media at the Car Tech Garage. Hey. How's it going? Fantastic. How are you? I'm doing terrific on this wonderful, snowy, cold morning. Welcome to Cincinnati, everybody. It sucks here. <laughs> hey, this is like the first big snow we've had in a long time. Yeah, like so 10 years. I like a it. foot dumped on us. I love it. You know, it makes you have to remember how to drive in, you know, bad conditions. Mm-hmm. You know, it just teaches you to be a little bit more careful. That's what I've always loved about it. It was just really nice having enough power in my Camry to spin the tires for once. <laughs> right. I think that's a lie. <laughs> Anyway, uh, this week's engine showcase, we're actually going to be talking about Lamborghini's legendary V12. Now, not their newer V12, but rather the old one, the one designed by Mr. Bizzarini. Bizzarini. Yeah. Oh, he was about that business. Well, this, you know, was, you told me about this engine and, you know, obviously I've heard Lamborghinis and and know the, the V12, but... I didn't realize how long it was actually around. I mean, obviously Decades. it changed, but it was basically the same engine for a very long time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, at least uh, similar architecture. They obviously added a lot of stuff, made it larger, you know, did a lot of different advancements, you know, as Lamborghini always does. But that, you know, engine architecture remained in design for, for decades and decades. But um, so if we kind of take it back, obviously Lamborghini was started by Mr. Ferruccio Lamborghini. Uh, he was an Italian industrious. He made cars, he made tractors, and then later he made wine. He made, really? Yeah. They yeah. made wine as well? Well, his parents were, they actually owned like a grape farm, whatever it's called, okay. a vineyard or something. Yeah. You're <laughs> obviously not your cup of tea. It's a grape farm. Grape <laughs> farm. I have grape farm, put it in bottles, <laughs> tastes good. Now, Ferruccio, obviously, you know, he had, he had made uh, tractors and he had bought a bunch of sports cars. He was a, a huge sports car enthusiast, really had a passion for it. I mean, he owned a bunch of Lancias. And then once he started to get a little bit more wealthy, he bought a couple of Maseratis and he even bought a few Ferraris. In fact, he really, really loved his Ferraris. But the, the way he viewed it, he thought that they were pretty ill-fitted for road use. You know, at the time, Ferraris were intended for racing, truly. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were basically a bare-bones race car. Lamborghini felt that um, if the car was going to be what he would consider a grand touring car, you know, one you know, race car really meant for the road that you can spend time in and thoroughly enjoy it, it needed to be more than just a race car. And he thought that he could outdo Ferrari in the road car category. And at the time, that's a, a pretty big achievement. You know, it's it's to prepare with that level. And I'm sure what at the time, you know, Lamborghini was not a huge company. I mean, um, he, he had he had plenty of money. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but again, he had he didn't really have any experience developing automobiles. And Ferrari, you know, obviously took this as a huge slap in the face because he wanted to be the premier Italian supercar manufacturer. And you've got somebody competing with you now. Well, that's the thing. I mean, Enzo Ferrari, he had a lot of enemies. <laughs> I yeah. Mean, when you're best at what you do. That that's what you're gonna have. It draws some competition, and it really, you know, I think it's great because obviously, looking back in in history and talking about it, you know, seeing these competitions almost of who has the better car really 
brought things to the next level, you know, every single year, somebody was trying to one up somebody else. And then you have these amazing cars, you know, even way back in time. It's crazier nowadays. I mean, there, it seems like every week there's a new car coming to outdo and outperform. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you got the, the Bugatti Belide, if that's how you pronounce it, you've got the SSC Tatara, you've got, you know, all these crazy Koenigseggs with 1500 plus horsepower and, um, they're all vying for the top spot. Yeah. And it's just this huge competition. Yeah. So, so back in 1963, Ferruccio Lamborghini, he had started to contract a couple of people to design a vehicle for him, but he ended up contracting this Italian engineer named Giotto Bizzarini, and he wanted him to build the engine for his new sports car. He wanted it to be a V12 engine, and he wanted it to be better than Ferrari's. Now, Bizzarini actually worked for Ferrari before coming to Lamborghini. In fact, he was kind of like the mastermind between or behind the 250 GTO. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows about the Ferrari 250 GTO. Yep. It came in a lot of different you know iterations, but that one came out in 1962, just a year before Ferruccio had actually contracted him. Now, this may be just legend, but supposedly Lamborghini paid Bizzarini a bonus for every horsepower it made above Ferrari's V12. <laughs> <laughs> See, there we go. There's that competition that you know brings it to the next level. So the the creation that Bizzarini came out with it ended up being a masterpiece, obviously. You know, as history is told, but it came out initially as a three and a half liter double overhead cam V12. That was kind of a slap in the face to Ferrari, too, because Ferrari only had a single overhead cam V12. Mm-hmm. He was like, ah, put two of them in there. <laughs> anyway, um, the the engine was fantastic. Um, it made a ton of horsepower on a dyno. In fact, it was measured at 370 horsepower at 9,000 RPM, and Bizzarini was confident that it was capable of more. Of course, you know this was on a dyno. They had higher octane fuel, no accessories, robbing power, and a much higher RPM limit than you know the actual road engine would use. But even once it made its way into the 1964 Lamborghini 350 GT, mm-hmm. which was his first car, a lot of people think it was the Mira, but it wasn't. It was a 350 GT front engine, rear wheel drive, very reminiscent of some of the old Ferraris, but it was a very beautiful car. Um, it still made 280 horsepower, even detuned, which was a lot at the time. I mean, you know, this was this was 1964. Um, but what was also kind of funny that was the contrast between Lamborghini and Ferrari. Ferrari was all consumed by racing, spent almost all of his money he made on his racing teams. And Lamborghini decided, decided really early on that he would never back a racing team with his factory money, which is kind of weird. It went against every other sports car manufacturer. Cause they're like, well, the way to sell cars is to win races. Obviously yeah, that's simple, simple marketing one oh one. but this was a different time. You know, Lamborghini kind of fit in that niche market. He was like, well, I want to build a race car and a luxury car, you know, one that isn't that's, intended for the racetrack, but rather for the road. And I want it to be the best of everything. That's one thing that's even amazed me in, in today's standards too. And it's kind of funny how they revert back to it. You know, when you think of a race car and, and these cars at the time were race cars, they were bare bones. You know, you didn't have nice accessories. They just went fast and they performed and that was it. And then mm-hmm. all of a sudden they said, Hey, how can we drive this on the road? You know, if I want to yeah. go to the grocery store, I need some extra, you know, nice tidbits. Exactly. And then nowadays it's kind of flipped and reverted where they've made these cars and now they're, now they're trying taking to, it yeah, back. Now they're trying to sell these like, you know, race ready cars off the dealership, you know, bare bones, minimum stuff, you know, yeah. you know Porsche does okay, it. Here's a $60,000 car and we're going to take the radio out of it and charge you 80. Exactly. We're going to charge you more for taking out 
but it's more. got sticky yeah. tires on it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, like the uh, 911R, I think, is is the one. Or you have like the, the Cayman GTS. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or GT4, the Cayman GT4, the new one. Um, even like the Mustang Cobra R that they made, you know, back in the early 2000s. No radio, no AC. <laughs> like it was it was a race car. And you paid a premium for it. Indeed, yeah. Just just to be able to say that you have one in your garage. And, and that was the, the cool thing. Like Lamborghini thought that it was a waste of resources to go racing. And he thought that just by simply making a car that was of the utmost quality and that still had the speed would give it, you know, the same type of pedigree amongst other racing cars. And, and really it did. Um, now the 350 GT, when that came out, I mean, it was a gorgeous car, beautiful front engine, rear drive sports car. And perhaps this Bizzarini V12 might be the best sounding engine ever. Yeah. When I mean, you it, think of Ferrari, you, you, you can hear it. Yeah. And then you think Lamborghini, like the, the Lamborghini V12 had like this more grumbly, aggressive burble. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just sounded much more muscular than, you know, Ferrari's kind of high revving, you know, very raspy, almost metallic sounding and idle. That's I mean, a good way to, I'd never really try to describe that, the sound of it. So it's, that's a good comparison. Anyway, it was a beautiful engine. So they ended up making a, li- a, big, a little bit bigger one, 3.9 liters, and they called that the 400 GT. Now, obviously the 400 GT was just a bigger engine of the 350 GT, not much change. Now, the next car that the engine was served for is perhaps, in my opinion, the most beautiful Lamborghini ever made and one of the most beautiful cars ever to be. That is the Lamborghini Mira. Um, the Mira was like a radically different approach to a sports car. It had a mid-mounted V12 engine, a totally different appearance from any car on the road. And while it wasn't the first mid-engine road car, it is considered to be the world's first mid-engine supercar. Which, yeah, that's a huge big deal. Itself. Big deal. Yeah, when they actually showed it at, uh, at like the first auto show that it came in, I, I can't remember if it was it was the Turin auto show, but they just showed a Mira frame with the engine. They didn't even put the body on it yet. And the body was absolutely gorgeous, of course. I said, uh, I just looked it up. I've never really seen a mirror, truthfully. Mm-hmm. And it kind of looks like an, a Ford GT. Oh, yeah, like the old GT40s? Yeah. It, it's it a looks gorgeous very car. Similar. It's a gorgeous car. And they had a bunch of different iterations of it as well. Um, and of course, you know, Mr. Lamborghini not being fond of racing, it wasn't even his idea to produce the Mira because it's obviously a, a racing car. Yeah, that's you know what I mean, it's, meant it's for. blatantly obvious that it's intended to go fast. So what happened was three of Lamborghini's engineers behind his back designed the car and, you know, put all of its specifications and built it in secret. And then they presented all of the designs and a prototype to Mr. Lamborghini afterwards. And they pitched it to him as like a good idea for marketing and publicity and luckily, he obliged, and the Mira, one of the most pivotal cars in supercar history, was born. They went behind his back. <laughs> <laughs> Once That's again, the thing, like these big companies, whenever they have you know the head honcho, and he has his vision for the company, it may not be exactly the best thing. And it's always nice when all of these little guys in the company, being you know the head engineers at Lamborghini, the little guys. <laughs> You know, they, they put their collective knowledge together and their collective creativity and something great is born of it. And then trying to beg them to, you know, make race cars and, and do racing instead of just, ah, you know, I'm making these fancy cars, race car, basically level, but I'm not interested in racing. You know, it just doesn't make any sense. You should have let me in there. I would have convinced them in no time. <laughs> I know. And so would I. Like, let me just show you what this <laughs> thing can do. I just have to learn how to speak Italian first. <laughs> so the Bizzarini V12 didn't stop at the Mira, though. It actually continued to grow well past that 3.94 liter mark. Um, it had like 385 horsepower at the time, which was still pretty fast. And they actually put those uh, same 
uh, 3.9 liters in the early Countaches as well. Okay. So it would eventually grow to 4.8 and 5.2 liters during the reign of the Lamborghini Countach, which was a gorgeous car. Yes, it was. Now, the, uh, the Mira and the Countach were all kind of designed by the same guy. But one thing that I actually didn't know, the um, last generation of the Countach uh, on its uh, 25th anniversary edition actually got uh, designed and rebodied a little bit by Horatio Pagani. That's to a this cool day, little tidbit. Yeah. That's <laughs> you know, a cool little day, tidbit. He... I never even had known that. So it was it was a 4.8 and 5.2 liters in the Countach. And even though the Countach was marketed as like the supercar of the 80s, it, it was like a 175-mile-an-hour car. Yeah. It was a, a huge performer, but it looked the part. It definitely did. Totally looked the part. And then you had poor, you know, cars like... Um, like the Ferrari F40, which decimated it. You had the Porsche 959, um, you know, roof came out and modified that 911 with the roof CTR Yellowbird. Mm-hmm. And those were you know, like three of the, the 200 mile an hour cars at the time that were just untouchable. Yeah, you couldn't get close to them. Yeah, and of course, a, a little bit after in 1990, the Diablo came out. And that was when the engine once again grew to 5.7 liters and then again to six liters in the Diablo as well. Now, my thing is like, hey, seriously, how much can you even bore this thing out? Yeah, I know. They keep making it bigger. <laughs> I know, you're like, uh, how? <laughs> the one thing that amazes me, obviously, you know, this is in Italy. This is, you know, overseas. But over here at, during this, you know, kind of whole period, we're all about the V8. V8, 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 mm-hmm. V8. And we're pushing big, huge V8 blocks. And then over in Italy, they're like, how oh, we'll make a small, you know, little three, four liter, you know, V12. And it's just two totally different beasts and they're going yeah. in different directions. And it just has always blown my mind thinking about that. You know, what if it would have flip-flopped and over here we would have had, you know, V12s running around everywhere in our Fords versus, you know, the V8s. It is kind of funny, like how the the paradigm goes from, you know, our perspective of how a car should be or our opinion mm-hmm. of how a car should be. You know, Americans are always associated with the, the big, low-revving, torque monsters V8s yeah. from the 60s. And, you know, one one engine that I really like to kind of pay homage to is the engine in the Shelby GT350R. Mm-hmm. You know, it actually is, is a, a V8. They did a cross-plane crankshaft. It revs to the sky. And it's a wonderful, wonderful engine. I just don't know why, you know, American manufacturers didn't catch on to the high revving aspect of it a little bit before. Because we, although... Americans are actually the first ones to put a turbocharger on a production vehicle. Mm-hmm. It, it didn't last for very long. No. You know, the <laughs> other manufacturers started taking over that. And then Japan, of course, came became, you know, like the turbocharger capital yeah, of the make world. It small, put a turbo on it. We're good. Yeah. But it is so interesting to see how different areas of the world kind of have same ideologies about how to build a car. And they've all, you know, over time taken it from each other and, and made it, you know, like I've always laughed about the the new Corvette, how it's, oh, we're, we're going to make a mid-engine. Like, no, no way. You're going to put the engine, you know, in the rear of the vehicle? No, that's insane. Nobody's ever done that before. <laughs> well, that was initially, I mean, it was supposed to be a mid-engine concept car, too, when Zora Arca Stuntoff took it over, but... It just ended up not fleshing out. Mm-hmm. But now finally it did. And the car, the subject is, is great. It's a wonderful car. You know, it's absolutely beautiful. If anybody wants to let me drive theirs, I'd be happy to. I'll let you know how it is. And I'll put some miles they on are it beautiful. for you. Yes, indeed. So um, obviously we were talking about how much can you bore out this original three and a half liter V8 or V12, <laughs> V12. You keep pushing it. So the answer, according to Lamborghini themselves, is a monstrous six and a half liters. And that engine is did get made. It is found in Lamborghini Murcielago. Um, the LP670 version came with over 660 horsepower, naturally aspirated, 
And all of this from an engine that had been concepted decades earlier. Now, of course, more upscale and advanced than ever. But it's just incredible that the engine design was in use for so long. It literally spanned one, two, three, four, five different cars. Yeah. And you That's know, they crazy. just kept evolving it and making it better. Yeah, yeah. And now the new V12 and the Aventador is a different one, mm-hmm. of course, since then they are now in by Volkswagen. But that's just awesome. Yeah, you know, we're here. We're, we were making, you know, all different engines every, you know, four or five years. It seemed like it was a new engine family. And that was just, you know, continuous. Oh, let's change it. Let's redevelop it. We're, I mean... Bizzarini struck gold. I guess when you just hear that noise and that sound of it, you know, why change it? That's it. The the performance is there. Everything's there. And like you said, when he first, you know, designed the engine, he knew it could produce more power. So, you know, I'm sure he set the bar low and was like, okay, we we can keep using this. And 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 it it was a race, too, because I know I I just kind of hit on Lamborghini never wanting to factory back a team. Now, there are plenty of Lamborghinis being raced, but they were all by by uh, privateer teams. Mm-hmm. So, you know, somebody taking their own money with Lamborghini vehicle, modifying it for race use, and then racing. Of course, they performed well, but without the factory backing, that's why they don't really have the same racing pedigree and success that teams like Ferrari and Porsche do. Yeah, they you know, you don't go back to the manufacturing portion of it and say, hey, we want to change this. We need to redevelop this. Well, you know, let's let's make a race car. did something good. Yeah. You know, I mean, obviously, Lamborghini's still around. They're more popular than ever. They sell more cars than ever before. You know, the, moving to the Urus was a genius idea on their part. Mm-hmm. You know, it's basically an Audi. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but they they're awesome. Combined. They are awesome. I, that's always been one I've I've kind of wanted to get. I think, what was it? It reminds me of the other day. I think it was a Lamborghini they tried to redesign. I don't know where it was. I think it was somewhere over in Europe. Not really sure, but it was this guy that built a lamborghini quote unquote for a thousand dollars and it was red the body work was terrible you could see all the lines where the body had not been made and i guess he put like a lawnmower engine pull start engine it wasn't a legitimate car but like from a distance you would go oh man that that, that's a lamborghini sitting over there (laughs) and he goes to the back of this car rips it starts it up you see black smoke coming out and it sounds like a lawnmower and i guess it's just like a little toy you know project it was in an area where didn't seem like there was a lot of money. Let's put it that way. But it was just hilarious that somebody, you know, made the body lines, took it, and then put a lawnmower engine in it. And they it's have like when you're like watching one of those like off-brand like fest- film festival films, and you see like second-rate Brad Pitt. Yeah, <laughs> that was exactly it. I'm like, cool idea. I bet everybody in his little town probably think he's the coolest thing since sliced bread. But <laughs> it's a lawnmower engine and a terribly made body. Don't, don't kit. do it. Just leave leave the Lamborghinis to Lamborghini. Yeah, please. <laughs> I agree. Anyway, catch us next week on the Car Tech Garage. It's always a pleasure to come and spew all this information all over the place. We have fun. I hope you do too. Keep cars interesting. This podcast has been brought to you by Almer's Auto Care in Cincinnati, Ohio, providing service beyond compare since 1936.